architecture since 1987, bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com. The time is 10 o'clock on the dot, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts, Alan Sprague, and Mike Joyce is up next. There's Schooner Fair piping in Boat Talk on the second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock. Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague, and another voice that you'll probably recognize if you've been listening to WERU for a while. John Dillenbeck is here to join us, and uh, I've never met John before. He, a lot of people play this sort of game when you look at, uh, listen to the radio, you sort of try to put a face to the voice you're hearing. And I have to say that John is just as handsome as Mike. <laughs> and we're all, all on the same radio station, but we don't uh, necessarily able to recognize each other. <laughs> sure, you never, sometimes you just don't wind yeah. up coming in at the same time. Welcome to Boat Talk, John. Oh, thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, John is from uh, here on on behalf of the Belfast Giggers yes. this morning. Come uh, boating. Yes. Come boating, yes, yes. the Belfast Giggers. Whoever, and, uh, whoever came up with that idea originally had a stroke of genius. Ah. Uh, <laughs> the punny one. Yes. And, uh, Let me give the call-in number for anybody who would ha- like to join in any sort of conversation here. 1-866-625-9378. Yeah, we'll uh, talk to John this morning about come boating and uh, gigging down in Belfast, as I like to say. And also, we uh, got to start with a couple of news items and been uh, trying to build a narrative uh, about the uh, climate change thing that uh, allegedly is going on nowadays. Uh, comes from a couple books I've read over uh, you know the last year. Uh, the first one that whooped me upside the head was called The Great Derangement, Amatov Gosh. And uh, he makes the point that uh, if they are wrong, what are the consequences? Uh, well, uh, it devolves into the armed lifeboat versus the, uh, you know, uh, poor others that are left uh, suffering on the shore paradigm, you know. And uh, good luck with the armed lifeboat thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, another book that I read just uh, really, really whooped me upside the head is called The Water Will Come, Jeff Goodell. And he made the point that... This uh, carbon dioxide that we put up in the air, it doesn't clean itself like uh, the dirty river I grew up next to has not got a paper mill on it, and it's much cleaner now. Well, uh, the sky doesn't clean itself. Uh, it takes eons, literally, yeah. on the uh, scale of time that it takes to uh, degrade nuclear fuel sort of thing, you know. And the fact is that we put it up there and it ain't coming down. And uh, been building the last couple months on the information idea that um, – Putting up fog and confusion is dreadfully powerful uh, compared to and easier than uh, coming up with real information. And the other thing is that that stays up in the air uh, and doesn't just fall down on its own either. It has a lasting power that's kind of scary. So uh, this month we were going to uh, share from you from a, another book called uh, Living in the Anthropocene, 
which uh, makes this point here that uh, in the scale of uh, human uh, development, it took till about 1820 the year Maine become a uh, state for the first billion people to uh, get, you know, get to be a billion people on Earth. 1820. It only took to 1930 to get the next billion. The third billion came by 1960. If you see a trend here, it's getting quicker. The fourth billion was 15 years later in 1975, and now we add a billion people about every 12 years. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yep. And uh, in those same uh, uh, time frame there, um, energy use between, let's say, 1950 and right now went up five times. And three-quarters of all the greenhouse emissions that were uh, up there happened between the, those years uh, just recent. Uh, same time period, the use of water went up five times. Uh, can't keep doing that. We may have uh, be reaching a uh, peak of, of uh, resources and also peaking on efficiency as well. And the future after that is uh, kind of up in the air. And as they say here... Uh, Juggle my papers and fix my glasses. Uh, from living in the Anthropocene, even if the human population starts to fall some 50 or 60 years hence, as some speculate it will, even if by 2075 we have banished fossil fuels to the margins of a low-carbon energy system, even if green parties win every election, the Anthropocene will live on. And that is because for a long time to come, there will still be billions of people using the global environment as a source of materials and as a sink for waste. Even if at restrained rates and for a long time to come, carbon already admitted into the atmosphere will continue to trap heat, warm the Earth's surface and its oceans. Historians may leave it to others to reflect upon whether the Anthropocene is on balance a good or a bad thing and how long it might last. These questions require a clear look into the future and Historians have enough trouble seeing the past. Uh, you know, good luck, folks. And, and uh, at the same time, uh, you have to forgive me for making this argument, too, but um, it was absolutely just uh, uh, perfectly, for, you got to give it to him, perfectly done the other day. Uh, Rush Limbaugh last week responding to a question Hillary took at a women's conference on the, uh, uh, what, what does uh, climate change mean to women? She talked about uh, women in sub-Saharan Africa under pressure to possibly migrate because their farming and herding families were, you know, the the desert was uh, not gonna was gonna catch on fire and uh, burn up under them. And in this little, uh, he spent a good half hour on that. He was able to mock liberals, Hillary, male-female roles, racism, polar bears, the timeline, and national public radio because at the end he was yelling, and even he knew it. And he says, "Oh." Uh, I get wound up, you know, I should try to sound like an NPR guy. But he couldn't do it. And he was yelling again in a minute. Well, but here's the punchline to this uh, whole point here. The news hour that evening, uh, public uh, uh, television uh, news hour, had a uh, story on uh, Houston and Puerto Rico right now. And we went into women's kitchens and uh, went into a woman's kitchen in Houston. It's the third time her kitchen is flooded. It doesn't have bottom walls. It's not a kitchen. She's under a little bit of stress. And uh, she's going to have to migrate. And Russia's making the point this is not happening anywhere. It's certainly not happening now. One of the things they bag you on is it's all 30, 40 years in the future. Not now. Well, you know, it is now and it is here was the uh, point that just, again, whooped me upside the head and uh, but at the same time, uh, he had a wonderful time doing that, and uh, you know, 
the power of confusion and fog, folks. Watch out for it. So we also see today that the uh, new Trump White House budget cuts the uh, budget for the Environmental Protection Agency by $2.5 billion a quarter of their budget. And in an effort to, quote, return them to their core mission, doesn't say whether that's uh, changing from watchdog to a different kind of dog, but, uh, you know, uh, and just uh, while I'm uh, jotting down notes right in front of me this morning, I also noticed uh, that the new Trump budget cuts the budget for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting over two years to zero it out uh, as significant portion of the funding of this here radio station that Boat Talk gets to happen on. Well, here's, here's a related one, too. Uh, the Trump administration is rolling back offshore drilling rules put in place after the 2010 Deepwater Horizon disaster. We got that one, too, but uh, it's a little more complicated than that. They uh, uh, dropped the offshore drilling ban, but the governor of Florida called up the Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zimke. And yelled at him, and Ryan Zimke apparently told the governor of Florida, oh, well, not you, without asking anybody else, which apparently quite upset Donald Trump, who forgot that he's got waterfront in Palm Beach. And uh, they have, quote, um, the interior secretary said after a brief meeting with Scott at a Tallahassee airport, the drilling would, quote, be off the table when it comes to the waters in eastern Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean off of Florida. Change of course uh, was five days after the uh, announced the offshore drilling, drilling plan. Simpson said Tuesday that, quote, Florida is obviously unique and that the decision to remove the state came after meetings and discussions with the governor. Yeah, unique in terms of their yeah. political affiliation. Well, come around the, uh, come around the panhandle of, of um, Florida and head for Mobile, Alabama, and you're going to have to dodge a lot of oil rigs, okay? And you tell me where the unique line is yeah, out there. Did. A little while ago, you had to dodge yeah. a bunch of oil, actually. Yeah, as you go from uh, uh, Florida waters to Alabama waters, uh, you know, I'd like to know where the unique line is. I don't see it on the chart. So, um, kind of interesting. Uh, speaking of, again, uh, same subject here. Uh, oh, there's a terrible government controversy going on between NASA and uh, NOAA. They can't uh, decide how hot it was last year. Uh, literally, uh, NASA says that it was the uh, uh, second hottest year in history, but NOAA thinks it was the third hottest history uh, year yeah, in history. And there. They do have a different of methodologies, and uh, by any account, uh, it's a bit of an issue, and in aggregate, about one and a half degrees Fahrenheit above the average temperature, they're saying a two to four temp uh, degree temperature range will kind of prejudice uh, lots of forms of life on Earth here. <laughs> if they're yeah, not, it does uh, make a big difference. If they're sure. not, uh, like I say, uh, quite disturbed by violent weather in between, uh, just trying to cope to start off with. And then you'll have people like our friend on the radio there say, uh, well, so what if it's 76 instead of 72? That would be a nice day with it. But, <clears throat> well, again, fog and confusion. We have uh, Kate on the phone, so let's, let's Excellent. Uh, go to uh, Kate down in Brooklyn. Good morning, Kate. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, guys. Thank you um, for your program. And just a, just a little feedback. I think a lot of listeners are um, following news, and um, we're, a lot of us are weary. And, and I was just calling to say I think it'd be great if 
the conversation could focus on boats more uh-huh. to give us a respite from what's going on in the news. So that's my only thought. And for political um, soapbox, there's always, you know, maybe somebody needs to have a blog. Anyway, that was my comment. I love your show usually, but it's really great when it's about boats. Great. Well, Kate, Thank you. Well, Kate, can you hang on a second? Um, do you have a boat? Um, at this point, well, yes, I do. It's okay. not water-worthy, but <laughs> I do have a boat. A, a, a barn boat, we call those, yes. Yes, I have a barn boat. Yeah. Kate, uh, do appreciate the feedback. Truly do. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for much. your program. I See. love it. I'm I'm a neighbor of Giffy Full, ah. and um, it's always especially great when he's on the program. <laughs> Can so, I say one more thing? Because you mentioned sure. it, uh, the WERU soapbox. Um, I used to host it. Uh, since I stopped hosting it, I've been trying to advocate for it. I've apparently made a bit of pain in the ass of myself. And part of the feedback that I get is, don't want to fuss about that nowadays. Which, again, Donald Trump's president and the global warming thing, the reason I bring it up, it's going to control the future. Oh, believe me, I am, I am entirely with you there. Uh, almost 30 years ago now was the first time I met Bill McKibben. I don't know if you've read any of his books or not. Have you read the brand newest one, Radio Free Vermont? No, I haven't. Mandatory. Um, but uh, so I'm entirely on board with the issue but i but i stand by and maybe i'm i'm speaking for myself in that uh a respite for the mind and the soul is a really good thing and and i know that that's what w-e-r-u is for me often with music and with you know some of the other programming and because boat talk is such a uh a singular program where you can hear discussion of all things nautical um it's again it's a lovely respite from the usual and if the so budgets and if the thank budget's you, cut and it's not there anymore again we brought that up this morning um uh and once again kate if you're uh, uh, still listening bill mckibben has a brand new book it's his first novel it's quite slender and it's very sweet it's called radio free vermont it's set in the present day and it's a story of secession and uh, biathlon skiing, among other things. Okay. Yeah. Good. Underground radio. Underpowered, underpaid, and underfoot <laughs> is their motto, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, here's the phone number for people who would like to join the discussion. one 625 Nine three seven eight, and I have something going here. Yeah, you next. Go right it's, in. A, it's a boat thing. Yeah, um, sort of a boat thing. Uh, there's a Norwegian technology company called Konsberg Maritime that they uh, have designed now, and not completely made yet, but designed the, a unmanned, remotely operated fireboat for port, for ports. The fireboat will offer. Close-range firefighting while firefighters stay out of the way. Drone firefighting. Drone firefighting, yeah. Oh, there we go. Seems, seems exactly like a, a natural progression from the little aerial drones. Uh, did anybody see the uh, drone thing they did at the Olympics on the TV for the opening ceremony? They filled the sky with I don't know how many, how many uh, points of light of drones. But hmm. the fact is that it's a wonderful time to be a mariner nowadays because you always know where you are the global positioning system and that's how they're able to do that and i would assume that would be integral to getting the hoses to squirt just right 
Well, we've blown a quarter of the boat talk hour already. Yeah, and we'll get to, uh, uh, again, we'll start. around to John yet, and we have another phone call, yeah, so let's go good. to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi. Um, I just want to say that I think boats and politics are often uh, coincided, and it's fine to talk um, about whatever you want on this show. You guys are awesome. Um, I just want to bring up LD1400, which is perhaps at this moment being voted on by our uh, legislature, the representatives, and that's an act to create a port authority in Bar Harbor. And um, I don't know what you know about port authorities, but uh, I live in Bar Harbor, and I think um, we don't need one. Um, And I just uh, want to know what you guys think of that. what, what a port authority could mean. It could bring in large cruise ships uh, right up to dock at the old ferry terminal site. Um, uh, Bar Harbor voters have been talking about this for a while, and we kind of would like to see a nice marina because we think the island could use another marina, um, bring in all t- sorts of boats, but not uh, the size of the largest cruise ships, which, which is what... Uh, we think LD1400 would bring in. It would also open up uh, that port to potential freighter traffic or, um, uh, you know, oil. If they have that oil rig that LePage wants out there, uh, uh, Bar Harbor could be a port for that. So um, I'll, I'll just hang up and let you guys discuss that if you want to. Boy, thanks for your call. And it is kind of complicated. We have been covering the cruise ship industry, especially in uh, Princess of the Seas was built with secret pipes for piping uh, bad things overboard. And it was found upon Coast Guard inspection. You know, it was built that way. Um, you can't have secret plumbing. Plumbing needs to make sense to the plumber and, and is traceable to anybody that wants to look. And, and when they traced the pipes and, and uh, found where they were going and then told that they weren't uh, ever used, they looked inside and, and they had bad stuff inside the pipe, too. So it was built that way. And that stuff will happen. But uh, on the other hand, we love boats and docks. And the cruise ship industry is, wow, booming financially. There's, uh, yes, there are lots they of need places to go. They yep. need places to go. Yeah, and uh, I have mixed feelings about that. I think we don't have to. We shouldn't restrict the way people can come to Acadia National Park. If they want to come by boat, then they should be able to. It's just a matter of whether the park can handle that many more people. It's an issue there. But I, I like Kate's point about what's the future of. Uh, a bigger dock in Bar Harbor and what she's, you know, I don't know what the potential is for offshore oil or or freight coming. It doesn't seem like freight would be a very good place to bring Bar not, Harbor. Not to Bar Harbor. Bar Harbor is uh, not much of a harbor either from a uh, no. seaman point of view. That's it's what a the terrible bar, harbor. That, the bar they is built a breakwater about. to try to improve it, but it's just a big open, rolly old, uh, uh, you know, big open bay. So, uh, yeah, and... Mm, uh, like I say, interesting uh, questions. I really liked what she said about the possibility of a marina at the old ferry pier there, which would be fill of people every day on their expensive boats, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, right. uh, run around spending more expensive money. Probably fewer people, but an equivalent amount of money uh, with those big boats that come in there. Yep, and marinas, uh, arguably uh, not environmentally benign in any way, shape, or form either, if you want to look at them uh, pretty... Mm-hmm. You know, strictly. Uh, but uh, 
Oh, geez, like you say, the cruise ships, um, I love seeing them uh, delivering boats out to sea. They are a sight uh, when you you catch one coming at you at night. and They uh, almost always move at night. Yeah. I uh, uh, Summer before last, I had one I was crossing the Gulf of Maine going to Nova Scotia, and I had one that I thought was coming back from St. John to Portland, and it was taking a long angle towards me, but it comes fast, you know, and, and it did pass me uh, with enough space, but... Uh, like I say, to see that huge thing that looks so top-heavy and has so many lights. I know. You wonder why they don't just fall over. Yeah, uh, it's pretty incredible. So anyway. What uh, are the largest cruise ships that come into Maine? I couldn't tell you they are uh, uh, building bigger ones all the time. Yeah, they Uh, had one that had 3,000 people on it. Yeah. Yeah. We also have uh, the American uh, Cruise Line has a boat that – uh, it's like an old river boat, and uh, I think it takes 100 people. Hmm. And it will come into Castine, uh, Rockland, uh, you know, smaller towns like that. Uh, Belfast, I think it anchors off Belfast. Yeah, uh, it does. Yeah. Um, that's not uh, hopefully too unreasonable, but if we want to maximize our business plan, what, 100 people, let's jump change. We have 1,000, you know. We have to duck that sometimes when it comes into the harbor over in Belfast where we row. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, again, uh, travel by water is how we all got here, all, all, all in favor of boats in general. But uh, they do pollute. Reminds me of a uh, boat guy I work for down in Castine. He's a fracker. Uh, can it be done? Uh, can it be done cleanly? Yes, it can. But no, it isn't. Hmm. But it can, you know. So I think can and chances of doing it are pretty far apart. Human nature problem, yeah. bud. Yeah. yeah. Well, want to talk about happy boats? Yeah, I'd like to talk about rowing boats around Belfast uh, Belfast Harbor, uh, facing the wrong way so you can't see where you're going. That sounds like fun to me. Now, yeah. Belfast Harbor is a pretty choppy little piece of water, too, sometimes. Sure is. Yeah. About, uh, yes. you know, ideal little, uh, not an ideal little hurricane hole. And Well, it's a good thing, you know, when you get used to rowing in those type of waters, when you're faced with that situation in the various races that we do throughout New England, then we kind of have an advantage. Uh, one of the first races that we do is basically right around the 1st of March, and that's called the Snow Row down in Hull, Massachusetts. And invariably, the weather down there is awful at that time of year. <laughs> uh, matter of fact, last year it got canceled. Uh, we sent out, I think, four different waves of boats, and then after the fourth one, a boat capsized, and the Coast Guard shut the race down. Now, we'd already gotten the pilot gigs out, so we've finished the whole course, but the waves and the wind were pretty amazing. And because we get out there and practice in those conditions, we kind of had an advantage. And uh, we happened to win, actually. I guess guess we're going to back up for people who uh, maybe never seen you um, crabbing around Belfast Harbor. um, What kind of boat are we in and and why have this all start? Well, we're talking about a Cornish pilot gig, and that's a 32-foot-long boat. But Um, it ain't very wide. Well, it's (laughs) four, what is it, uh, 56 inches. Like I say, it's it's plenty long, but it ain't too wide. It's not too wide. There's six rowers and a cox. Um, You have about a 12-foot long, depending on the seat that you're sitting in, uh, or, and you do sit backwards, uh, so you never see where you're going, but all you have to do is look at your oar and concentrate on that and just pull hard. 
and the cocks just yells at you the whole time, <laughs> depending on the cocks, that is. <laughs> and let's let's just uh, set the picture here. It's choppy out in Belfast Harbor. We're sitting in a very narrow boat with a bunch of other people who may not be all leaning the same way at the same time for whatever reason. And, and you've got a 12-foot lever stuck straight out sideways that as you pull as hard as you can on it and pick it up, it gets slapped by a wave and, and tripped and trapped. And Occasionally it happens. That's called a crab yeah. in the rowing vernacular. And uh, sometimes you can catch one of those right in the chest and it'll knock you right off the seat. Ooh. But it doesn't happen as often as you'd think. And um, we have pretty calm conditions for m- the majority of the time, you know, depending on the winds. We're a little bit protected there. Uh, So we have a lot of community rowers who go out who aren't very experienced, but they generally don't have a problem. They catch a crab every once in a while and uh, wakes you up a little bit. But uh, usually it's no problem. You get spray over the bow? Yes, depending on where we are. Uh, We've been out – we went out in the middle of the harbor one time in a practice and – uh, it had to be about five foot seas out there, and a couple of people put their life jackets on. We don't generally even wear them. They're very stable boats, uh, and you don't really feel in danger any time that you're out there. So you just keep you got to make sure that the boat keeps going so that the cocks can keep steering you. But uh, yeah. is the trickiest moments getting in and out of the thing? Uh, that's not too bad, but yeah, actually, yeah. The, most of the time that if it, it, if an accident is going to happen, it's going to happen on the dock, getting out or in of the boat. Yeah. 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 Beyond that, we don't have many incidences. So that's good. Relatively, it's pretty safe. <laughs> Knock on uh, your long wooden doors. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> There's no wood around me right now, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a, a a tradition that was started in Cornwall, thus the name Cornish Pilot Gigs, and. Um, these used to be used to take pilots out to the incoming ships so that they could maneuver because they knew their harbors better than anybody. They could maneuver these ships into the harbor. And over the years, um, sort of the legend is and probably the reality is that the first pilot that would get out to the ships is the pilot that would get the job. So they sort of designed these uh-huh. to be very fast boats. They're very uh, lightweight for the size and very – like you said, slim. So they move right along. Uh, we've heard rumors that you can get up to nine and a half knots in these things now. What do you mean rumors? Don't we have a well, tell you, GPS we, with a GoPro <laughs> on it? We do, and we take it out practicing, but we've never achieved those speeds. Oh, as I see of, now. Yes, I see now. so okay. that's the rumor part. <laughs> yeah. um, we'll find out because we're, as we'll get to, we're going to be heading to the Sillies. Practicing, trying harder. Yeah, yeah, and we're going to see what some of these teams can do. The Sillies, got to like that. We'll get the there. The Sillies. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, we'll get there. So um, that's that is what started the race tradition, uh, come boating in Belfast started as a, well, it's, it's a community rowing program. Um, we really just want to try to give access to people to get out on the water, to get in a boat and get out there and row with each other and uh, have a good time because it is just a wonderful thing to do. And uh, you don't have to pay anything. You just come down, you sign up, and we've got three gigs. Uh, one is a traditionally built gig, a lap straight and is actually built off of a design from um, one of the original boats in Cornwall called the Trefry. And all of the boats over in Cornwall are based on this one boat. Hmm. They have to be built exactly like this boat. They get checked over by marine architects, and everything has to be exactly right. Now, we have a boat that was built from those plans. It's called the Malcolm G., 
And uh, it's one of the few boats in, in the Americas that's built exactly to those specifications. Uh, and then we also have two other boats that are cold molded, so they're smooth hulled. And uh, they have uh, Concept 2 oar locks, which are the ones that you see on the sort of fancy sculling boats, you know, the, the, the sliding seat boats. Um, but a traditional gig uses full pins, just two pins and a wooden oar. Mm. And, uh, yeah, they, we've been around since about 2000 is when we first started building the boats over there. And our the basic part of our program is to provide an opportunity for people to get out and row. The coal mold, coal molded boats. Now let's imagine for uh, again non boat builders, coal coal mold. Uh, a piece of plywood is a coal molded structure, yes. and if you curve it, there's a coal molded boat. You yep. build it out of thin pieces and um, lighter than the traditionally built one. I'm guessing. Well, smoother. It depends on the amount of fiberglass that you put over that okay. boat. <laughs> um, we have uh, the Belfast is one of the first boats that we built. Probably comes in around uh, 650 pounds. Now a traditional pilot gig weighs around seven to 800 pounds. Uh, once again, depending on how much water it's absorbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, so we're, we're kind of in the ballpark with those boats. And it's uh, smoother, it's lighter, is it faster? There is some thought that they are faster. And I think that might be the reality that that smooth hold boat is a little bit faster. Um, uh, we've, you know, obviously I've had a chance to row in both our traditional Lapstrake one, the Malcolm G, and then the other ones. And it, I think there's a couple of different things. It's a lot easier to row with the oar locks. Yeah. Uh, so you don't have to be as skilled. We can improve the wheel, apparently. <laughs> you certainly can, yeah. And so there, it's a little more forgiving. If you don't do all the right things in the, the uh, cold-molded boats, then that boat still moves pretty well. But if you don't do exactly the right thing when you're in a traditional uh, Cornish pilot gig, then that boat isn't going to move for you. Mm-hmm. So you really technique is a big thing when it huh. comes to these boats. So with the uh, the two pins, what happens is the oar just jumps out of the pins, and you're s- screwing up the uh, other strokes too because <laughs> your oar is flailing around. Yeah, the uh, pins are made out of different material. So the boat, which is or the the pin, which is closest to the uh, stern, would be a breakable pin made out of spruce and then the back one or the front one i guess if, you know because you have to turn around here and the one closest to the bow would be made out of oak and that one is designed not to break that's the so, one you're pulling and that's the one that you're always pulling or pushing depending on the way you want to think mm. about it and then the other one is if you catch a crab it's designed to just snap uh-huh. and then that Gets that out of the way, and then you just have to pop that off and replace that real quick. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> and this is purely a team effort, and that's why you have the cox that has to yell at everybody full time. Yes, yeah. Get back on the team. What the heck are you doing? Yeah, and make sure that everybody's staying at the same time yeah. because that's a really important part, especially when you're racing. Uh, now, when you're out there just enjoying a lovely Sunday morning row and you're just out there to listen to the seagulls, um, you know, that's not as crucial. But there is something magical about being out there with six other people rowing at the same time and hearing the ocean. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just a beautiful thing to do. Team's always a good thing, man. It is. Yeah, yeah. It is. And again, uh, bobbing about in a boat is uh, inherently relaxing and always a good thing, yes. Yeah. That's uh, what we think of boat talk here, which we're about half past. one 625 I'm curious about those little spruce pins that break off. You're, you're left with uh, 
broken off piece of spruce stuck in the hole. How do you deal with that? Well, sometimes you have to give it a little bit of smack, you know, uh, and you use a, maybe another thule pin that's sitting around. You just drive it out with that. Now, if you're doing it in the course of a race, uh, yeah, then it can become an issue. Uh-huh. It becomes a little difficult. But... A lot of four-letter words start flying oh, all over the place, <laughs> generally, yeah. We're talking smack, and I heard about uh, the sillies earlier, but we got lots to talk about. But if you'd like to join the conversation this morning... Give us a call. The number is one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Talking to John Dillenbeck from uh, Cumboten in Belfast. There's other towns that have gigs too, aren't there? Yeah, in Maine we've got several clubs um, down in Rockland. Uh, there's uh, Muriel Curtis runs a program down there called Station yeah. Maine. Uh, Muriel has been on this show. No, she's, a, she's a wonderful person with a great program. It's a youth rowing program. She yeah. also has some adult rowers down there as well. Uh, she has several boats, um, some fours. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the – I can't remember the style of boat that those are. I think gunning dories maybe. Um, but she also has uh, pilot gigs down there. Uh, great program. Um, there's a couple boats over in Vinyl Haven, uh, one over in North Haven. And uh, Tammy Brown's got a great program out there, great youth rowing program. Um, uh, over in the L.A. area. Houston, Auburn, yeah, exactly. on the river. Yeah, on the river. Wow. They've got one as well. And there's a Team Zulu. Uh, they go to a lot of the races. We see them all over the place. They're a great uh, kind of up-and-coming organization. Um, there's a lot, also some um, random St. Ale skiffs around the uh, state. Over on uh, Little Cranberry Isle, um, uh, Anthony Orchino has got a program going over there, a youth rowing program. They also build the boats over there as well. And uh, that's called, uh, I think, Cranberry Boat Works. I'm, I'm forgetting the name over there. So there are some programs right. around Maine. Uh, obviously, there's a, a lot of uh, clubs down in Massachusetts. Uh, those are rowing clubs. Not They're a little different than we are because you have to you, you don't have to pay to get into those. Uh, there's some in Connecticut, New York. There's a, a bunch of uh, pilot gigs up on Lake Champlain, mm-hmm. centered around the Virgins and Burlington area. Uh, a guy named Nick Patch up there has got a fantastic program. They build these boats at the technical schools up there, and then they race them in a circuit. To, and the high school has a mm. bunch of uh, – a lot of the different high schools. So the team's, team's got a big league to play in. Yes. Yeah. 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 Cool. We Very have cool. another phone call, so let's go to Kathleen. Good morning, Kathleen. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, fellas. Thanks so much for your amazing show and insight. You can always count on that with WPRU. Uh, I have – had been a Maine resident for, golly, close to 25 years or so. And um, I'm one of those Bar Harbor residents who raised my daughter in what was at that point almost like a fairyland where I could take her in a sled and pull her up to a store. They knew you by name. It was wonderful. Albeit there, we couldn't afford housing in Bar Harbor. <laughs> so we had to um, move out of town for that and eventually... Uh, I needed to move to Massachusetts uh, to be able to um, take care of all things financial for my family. My point is that um, cruise ships, fantastic, wonderful, love to see them also in the, in the bay and nearby. What will that end? What will that do to uh, the taxes eventually for Bar Harbor if folks want to buy um, homes in Bar Harbor? We can look to Deer Isle and uh, Stonington 
to see what's happened with the local fishermen, where their homes, their taxes are so high now that they've either had to sell their homes or stop fishing because they can't afford it. Um, and uh, what will that do also to the local culture that is vital? It's not just income that makes Bar Harbor special. It's the culture. It's the people that have been there for years that it's uh, the community is like none other. So I um, wonder if we can look ahead and be prepared for the bow and the stern of what that cruise ship could offer Bar Harbor, um, the pros and cons, if we could prepare for that. And lastly, I think it's imperative that we stay alert and aware with Trump and that adults, as I tell the children I work with, we've got it right before, we can do it again, we just have to do it right. So Trump is a factor in almost every conversation we have, and uh, I think it's important that we do touch on it when we can, because look what happened when we were asleep. (laughs) And that's it. Thank you very much, Kathleen. We've got a lot to think about right there. Yeah, excellent questions. <laughs> yeah. I like the, uh, uh, you know, two different sides, uh, bow and stern, uh, yeah, unintended like consequences. Two we different have another sides, phone call, yeah. so let's go to David down in Brooklyn. Good morning, David. Jeez, I guess we got, uh, good morning, thanks for the show. I guess, uh, uh, calls from the, uh, the sponsorship out here, non-corporate sponsorship. I don't want to interrupt your uh, your flow too much about the uh, gigging, but I did catch the word smack, and that reminded me of lobsters, and that reminded me of the offshore drilling controversy or opportunity that's out there, and I wanted to see where you guys were about that. I've heard that Maine is, aside from uh, at the opposite end of the uh, coast from Florida, the only state which has not, aside from perhaps Florida, made it perfectly clear that they will not have development in their offshore grounds in the outer shelf. Maine is the only state which has not made that perfectly clear uh, due to the, uh, the outspeakings of the, of the general population. Uh, and I wondered whether you have any uh, fix on, the, uh, on the, uh, where the, the, the fishing population in Maine stands on that issue, whether, whether uh, it's up to speed uh, on the uh, the questions, the, the, on the, the challenges, on the dangers that are posed by this, I, I was wondering whether even making uh, uh, MDI into a uh, into a, uh, a port city might have some uh, uh, long range planning aspects of uh, being able to bring uh, 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 fuel fuel tanking uh, boats in there from the offshore rigs, uh, and this is happening. And, and unless we rally against it, or, you know, I'll have to use the word against, it's probably going to go through. So I just wondered what you guys know about where the community is about that, because I'm not in the community. and I'd like to, like to try to nudge it a little bit. I'm not really in it, so it's hard to do from out here. You, uh, you could move to America, Dave, if you had to. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, buddy, good, jo- good joke, right? But anyway, um, here's, here's the possible difference. The uh, governor of Florida howled. So did the governor of Massachusetts and the governor of uh, uh, New Hampshire California. about the offshore, offshore Oregon, California, but not Governor Paula Page for some so, nice reason. And uh, 
you know, he was on TV the other morning down in Machias closing the prison, and uh, he does his thing for, uh, you know, everybody's own good, apparently. So I, I believe possible explanation so far would be uh, Paula Page. But, again, we're talking politics, and we got John Dillon back sitting in front of us here. So, But, again, uh, the future, uh, you know, well, you know, <laughs> got to march through it no matter what, and uh, uh, be be nice if it's here when it gets here. So, yeah. Well, you know, it's all important. We're all out there. Uh, the politics has to do with the environment, and the environment is what we're all out there in. So, yeah, it's all uh, relevant. And literally, literally, it's all connected. And yeah. three quarters of the planet is water. And we claim anything on boat talk. We claim anything that's wet. Mm-hmm. I Sounds got to good. interview my dad one time. He, uh, his career was in broadcasting, okay? And uh, I interviewed him on Boat Talk, and he was nervous as a cat. What are you going to ask me? Well, I want to see you. I don't have any questions. I'm going to talk to you. And uh, the reason I could interview him was he served in the Army in an amphibious tank. There you go. Yeah, close enough for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've been to uh, floating school buses, too. Yeah, we're... Quite the range here. Yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, back to come boating now. Uh, you race these things. Not good enough just to uh, go for a nice row. Uh, you know, sometimes you can uh, ruin a nice sail by making a race break out, in my opinion. Well, Everybody we has to start yelling and breaking things and come on. You know, there's a couple different levels of uh, what people want to get out of, out of rowing. Uh, some people like to go out there and enjoy themselves. Uh, I certainly love doing that. But also there's people who like to go out there and get a little bit of a workout. And there's no better workout than rowing. It's just fantastic. It's a full body experience. Um, it's it's low impact and high intensity so you have you, something to push your feet against too so you yeah you have you have stretchers down and, and generally we've got these little um you know we can hold our feet down on those and uh it, it really is an amazing workout for almost everything you know you're pushing with your legs you're pulling you know it's a lat pull we get out there we're doing stroke rates of 30 anywhere from 30 to 40 strokes per minute wow. uh you're doing a three and a half mile race so you'd wind up doing you know anywhere from about a thousand uh sit-ups and lat pulls during that whole thing so mm-hmm. it's great exercise and yeah there's a big racing circuit as well so we mm-hmm. get to travel uh up and down the coast people come up to our regatta and uh we get to have these wonderful events and get to meet people You'll have to uh, let us know when the next regatta is in Belfast, so we can. I should I should know the exact date. It's usually the second week in August, and uh, yeah, we can get that information to you, and you can uh, people can come over and watch. We get a lot of teams to come up here because we're kind of the team to beat. Uh, For a while, we've been uh, very successful in our racing program. Jim Bahoosh says you're one of the. uh, I think he said the word "awesome rowers," but. I don't like to use that word, but <laughs> he says you're one of the key, key key men in their in the rowing crew. Well, so is he. So <laughs> we love Jim, and he is a fantastic rower, and uh, he's one of the pretty. To maybe get back to the whole point of why I'm here is to talk about uh, the fact that we're going to send three teams to the Silly Islands in Cornwall. Uh, now, those are islands that are located about 30 miles off the southwest tip of the United Kingdom. And I say that intentionally because the Cornish people are part of the United Kingdom, not part of England. And if <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I see about it, probably too. Yeah. I, I only stress that because they would. Yeah. And uh, it's a wonderful little place. Uh, of course, I've never been there, but I am going to be going as part of the men's team with the boats. Uh, uh, no, actually, we rent a boat 
uh, over there would be very cost prohibitive for us to uh, take yeah, one of our boats so. over yeah. there. So what we did is um, I met a gentleman who uh, rose with um, some teams over there uh, in the Lyme Regis area of Cornwall and uh, Jerry Bowden. And he uh, was able to set us up with a good boat over there, which is a big deal because there's a lot of boats that go to the World Pilot Gig uh, Championships that happen every year. Uh, there are hundreds of boats that line up and race at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you can get about 175 boats all lined up in a line, all heading for one place. And uh, so you do one sort of qualifying race, then you get separated out into different uh, divisions. So there's A, B, C, D, depending on how fast you are, you get into those different groups, and then you race another couple times, and then they crown the champion. Now, we're not going over with the idea that we can, you know, win, but uh, I think we can do well. We'll find out how well. And uh, this is just something that has been a dream uh, of mine for a long time. So I was agitating about it for the last couple of years, and then a couple other people took up the cause. And all of a sudden, we had a lot of interest in heading over there. So we've got a, a women's team, a women's vet team, which just means over 40, and then uh, a men's team. Now, I wish that it was a men's vet team because <laughs> actually I qualify for super vet, which is go. over 50. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'd huh. be facing a little less competition. Uh, but we also have a couple rowers that are in their 30s. <laughs> so they've dragged us down and put us in the mix. Uh, so we're going to head over there in May um, and go stay over uh, on the island for about a week, actually. We've got a place rented over there, uh, another pretty difficult thing to do because there's so many people that come show up on this tiny little island. And, um, yeah, it's it's an expensive proposition, so we're doing a little bit of fundraising. We just had a nice little dance over at the Crosby Center in Belfast. Uh, got some money raised uh, to put towards this. Are you, are you going to have a website so that people can keep up with you when you're over there? We will, yeah. We're even trying to think about maybe doing some live streaming uh-huh. so that people can watch the races as they're like happening. GoPro on the helmet, it, huh? Exactly. Strap some, some, some sort of contraption on the cox's head yeah. and, and hopefully uh, – <laughs> I don't know how well we're going to have. I'm actually going to be the Cox for uh, the women's team. Uh, so I'll, maybe I'll have to edit myself. Do you as have to change your clothes? I don't even know how I'm going to do yeah. this. You know, to be honest, it, uh, we just don't know what it's going to be like. I might have to hop off of one boat onto the other and, uh, and yeah, just go for it. Seems like there ought to be a penalty if it's not an all-woman team. I realize that you probably can't have men rowing, but um, – yeah, the Cox can Cox, beat either. And yeah, it's, it doesn't it, really require that much muscle effort, does it? No, it doesn't. Yeah, you just have to be, uh, I guess, aggressive. Uh, know where you're going and be able to shout going. well. Yeah, yeah, when I can certainly shout. <laughs> well, again, we talked about the uh, top rowers possibly, but what makes a, a good or a bad Cox? You know, what's the difference oh. on a good Cox? Rhythm, uh, lou- loudness, uh, you know, you just curseability? Have, I think decisiveness <laughs> and curseability, certainly, yeah. Uh, the men's, uh, men's yeah. team Cox is uh, Rowan Walowski, and she's a very small woman, uh, but very aggressive. And she lets us know in no uncertain terms do what you, we're going to do. And we're saying that's all good. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> do you shout words like avast and... 
every <laughs> yeah. possible moment I throw in something like that. Arg. You say arg. arg. <laughs> yeah, and as you say, open to uh, you don't have to be a, a Belfast resident. You don't have to be about any uh, – you don't have to qualify for the membership committee. You just have to pretty much show up, huh? Yeah, certainly for the community rowing, that's certainly uh, our our mission statement almost. You know, we really want anybody of any age to, to, to come in and just row uh, because it, it's – we feel it's important to just give people that opportunity right. uh, for the racing program. It's a little different because you know you have to sort of. Well, I could. I don't understand. People would probably not want to start out racing. But, <laughs> exactly. Um, how small? What's the smallest size you can be and be able to row in one of these boats? Well, we have um, uh, some pretty small youth rowers. Actually, we have this year, uh, or it started last year, but for the first time, a youth racing team, and they've been doing fantastic. They actually. Uh, <laughs> Uh, one a uh, we're getting signs from the control room here. <laughs> um, they they won the youth uh, open water rowing championships, which took place down at a, an event called the Icebreaker in Boston, right oh. in downtown Boston, and they just did fantastic. They're a great team, and there's some pretty small people on that team. So oh, you, basically, we say that you have to be able to lift up an oar because that's important, and then set that oar down. Uh-huh. And if you can handle that, uh, then it doesn't really matter what your size is or your age. We've had rowers that were uh, row well into their 80s. And the team will bring you along with it. Uh, part, you know, a part of the time was uh, to supplement what you're offering, and, and yeah. that's, how, that's how the boat gets there, and that's why it's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Phone rang, and one eight six six. 625-9378 if you Very want to ring good. it too in the last few minutes we're we here this morning. Captain Yo on the phone. Good morning, Yo. Good morning. This is a very interesting discussion. I have a question about the handling of these vessels. As much fun as it must be to row around at nine knots, um, the pilot boats, of course, are intended to disembark a passenger alongside a larger vessel in a seaway, and I'm wondering... If you could comment on the maneuver of tossing oars and coming alongside a vessel to uh, disembark a passenger. Thank you for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Very good question. Yeah, because yeah. you, your boat has to get close to the big boat in order to get the pilot off. And you got these oars sticking, sticking out. Sticking out 12 feet yeah. in between the two of you. That ain't handy to get in the shore. Well, first off, hey, yo, how you doing? It's great to hear from you. And, um, yeah, it's, it that's also goes to the uh, importance of a cox because a cox is the one who's making all of these calls. Mm. And you just do what they say. And as long as, as you've got a confident and, uh, you know, experienced cox, then they just give you that information and you just do it. You, know, you, you don't raise have the to, oars at the right time. You just raise the oars. You throw them up. Um, yeah, it is called uh, – there's, there's several commands. Uh, tossing oars, coming to oars, uh, you know, make way backwatering. And it really just, uh, they are pretty maneuverable boats, surprisingly. And because you can control one side or the other, you can basically spin them around in place. And uh, and some of the youth races, they do a lot of these technical things where they, where they have to go around buoys. And so you have to have one side come to oars while the other side is rowing or, or maybe even hold water, which will spin the boat even faster. Dragging the oar. Dragging the oar, yeah. 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 You can trail water and that gives you a little resistance on one side, moves it around. Um, but they are pretty maneuverable, surprisingly huh. maneuverable. That's neat. 
Basically a round bottom boat, though, but it does have a bit of a skeg uh, uh, at the back. It comes down to a flat kind of... Yeah, there's a transom at the back yeah. and then a keel that runs under. Yeah, yeah. there is yeah. a little bit of a keel. And again, it shows mm-hmm. up mostly at the stern of the boat. And yes. Yeah. Forward, it's more or less a round bottom boat, like a canoe. It but, is a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about bottoms, I have one of the things that I find very interesting. I just want to throw out something I think Mike's going to be surprised at. Electric bottom paint. Okay. Um, I'm going to wear rubber gloves as I apply yeah. it. There's, you might want to check this out online. And gum boots, yes. A company named Exo Noble, A-K-Z-O-N-O-B-E-L, has developed a technology that uses ultraviolet light-emitting diodes uh, in a, I don't know whether it's a film or a paste, that's applied to underwater surfaces, and the with adhesion... Boat's in the water. The boat's well, no, no. The boat's out of the water okay. when you put this on. All right. It's a it's some sort of a coating that has LED lights in it that emit ultraviolet light, and so somehow you can plug in this coating, and the LEDs will keep uh, any kind of plant life or animal life from attaching to the boat. Hmm. It's uh, supposedly a hundred percent ecologically viable way of alternative to uh, the uh, poisonous bottom paints. I have somewhat accepted uh, the latex uh, water-based anti-fouling paint for, you know, boats that uh, are just in for the summer. Yeah, but those are the chemical thing. This this involves no chemicals. Involves so, no chemicals. Well, other than the chemical you use to yeah. adhere it to your and boat. And again, I'm I'm incapable about of understanding it. I, I think so. <laughs> yeah, glowing seems, whole seems pretty uh, well. It may take me a month to I don't digest think that. I don't, I don't think it's actually hit the water yet. If as possible, it were. yeah, yeah. But it's uh, huh. interesting. A K Z O N O B E L. They say that uh, the more of us they are, we're talking about population increasing earlier, that there uh, no doubt be a genius, come along and fix everything, you know, uh, get the solution to everything. Uh, so many people have got to be at least one genius to figure it all out, right? <laughs> that's one theory, I believe. Well, I guess that's what we're going to have to do with the gigs so, there, get them um, all glowing. Do you have a website? We do. It's comeboarding.org. And uh, you can go on there and check it out. There's a lot of information on there, contact information as well. We have a Facebook page, and you just, you can look for Cumboding Belfast, Maine. And uh, once again, if you feel like contacting us, those are both good ways to do it. And we're just located right down on the main landing. We've got a little boat shed uh, for those of you who like the analog and actually want to go see our organization, uh, we have a boat shed. It got a little mailbox outside. When the rowing season starts up in June, then you can just go down to that mailbox, pull out a little thing, uh, sign up for a row, and just go for it. We do indoor things as well as uh, wet things down to the dock. Yeah, well, um, we I have mean, social. Uh, we socialize on and off the water. Oh, certainly do that, and we have our winter series where we have, um, uh, and I think there's some coming up. I, I probably should have that list <laughs> of uh, a couple of winter events where we have speakers come over to the Belfast Library and uh, do knots and things like that, knot tying workshops and things like that. Nice. Oh, we have Yo back on the phone, so let's go back to Yo. Good morning, Yo. What's up? Nope. Oh. Nope, I guess Yo must have hung up. Well, we were coming up right on the very end of Boat Talk anyway, so uh, I think we'll wrap things up. I want to tell one quick thing, though. Uh, Greenpeace, our friends at Greenpeace, uh, have a suit going 
claiming that um, Norway's gas and oil exploration violates a citizen's right to a clean environment. Supposedly, about 100 national constitutions all around the world, including Norway's, guarantees a safe environment. So Greenpeace is using that as a uh, a test as to whether uh, burning all this carbon and making climate change is a threat mm. to the environment. Let's mm. define safe now. Uh, yeah. be a challenge, possibly. Mm. And They're having a tough time in court right now. You know what Dad told me? I was speaking to him earlier, too. We uh, run uh, Channel 8 television in uh, Poland Spring uh, off the top of Mount Washington for his career, basically. And says, well, I may, run, I may uh, be the manager there, but the lawyers run the place. Maybe I should have been a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's where you want me to be, and I can't can't think of how it didn't happen. So yeah. the way of the world, right there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them are in Washington. Yeah, too. and uh, to add to uh, that further point, the I believe that the uh, was uh, uh, Kate that called earlier uh, uh, about the Bar Harbor cruises. I believe uh, um, the whole thing about having a um, uh, port authority, I believe, is a legal device. Is, is all that I barely know about it, which is not much. But I believe the discussion uh, turns on on having it as a possible legal frame. So, again, the lawyers running the place when you'd think the captain would be in charge of getting the boat into the dock and seeing if it was a good place to dock in the first place. And the people in the town get to say, but, hey. Somebody on the shore is doing it instead. Yeah. And once again, we're doing boat talk here on our community radio station. How lucky are we? But, in fact, they are talking about the budget of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting in Washington right now. And, you know, uh, times is changing, and it's wild weather uh, everywhere in several different dimensions. So um, that's why, uh, as as somebody says, uh, somebody's got to say something, and uh, so feel bound to. And uh, next month, you ain't here, Alan. Right. Yes, next month I'm going down to uh, St. John in the Virgin Islands. Who is, uh, they got hit pretty hard by uh, Hurricane, was it Maria? Yeah. Yep. The same one hits uh, San Juan. <clears throat> doing going to do some volunteer reconstruction. Going to leave me all on my own, but I've done that town a couple of times. I'll if I've got a boat delivery, I you know I got to do that instead of show up here sometimes. And I guess uh, hopefully we'll be fine, and we'll add something to the climate change uh, discussion. I already know what it was, but I've forgotten it now. And. Uh, uh, a couple of different uh, other people to talk to in mind, so we'll stay tuned for that. We'll let that hang as well right now. Piping us out, ain't they? Yep. And stay tuned for Rich Hillsinger coming up next with On the Wing here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. And all around this wet world at WERU.org. Thanks to Amy Brown down in the engine room. Stay tuned for Rich. Support for WERU comes from...